How are you guys doing? Good? Good. You look comfy. Hopefully you survived just fine without tables. Um, these books are large enough. They're like little tables of, of their own. So hopefully you'll, you'll do just fine with that. Um, but welcome. It's good to be here with you guys. Let's pray. God, we have, um, I think we have so much to explore with you tonight. I think that there's a, a lot that you want to take us through um, and a journey, God, that you want to take us on tonight. And so um, we are we are here, God. Um, and I just take a second to acknowledge that that's even a feat for many. Uh, God, we thank you that by your grace that we had the energy to get up out of bed this morning. We thank you that by your grace that there was enough will within us to, to do that, to say yes to facing the day. We acknowledge that um, that's not always the case for, for some. And, um, and so, God, we just thank you for bringing us here, for the provisions that, that got us here, for the things that um, did transpire during our day that maybe even we're, we're fighting to keep us from this place, but yet here we are, and we're here with you. And so, Spirit of God, um, I believe that you've called us and drawn us together tonight because you have a word for us, um, because you want to speak, because you want to transform. And so we invite you to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do have a lot to get through, and we'll do our best. So go ahead and open up your books to Unit 5. Yes, Unit 5, which is page 88, page 88. And we'll start with reading the scripture that's on here, right on page 88. It says for it's John 8, 47, He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So he who hears belongs to God. Go ahead and flip on over then to page 91. And this, this first day's topic is about God speaking in different ways. And one of the things that we first see here is this idea of Moses in the burning bush, right? And so if you read at the top of page 91 with me, uh, second, second sentence there, it says, if Moses had been around today, he would have been tempted to write a book titled My Burning Bush Experience. Then people who, um, would search all over the countryside for their burning bush. And I love that he notes this because for many of us, uh, we hear about what other people are experiencing and we long to have an experience similar to that. Or we see or we perceive it looks like somebody is having that experience and I would like to also have that experience. And so then we find ourselves seeking and longing and searching for those experiences. And meanwhile, God could actually have something very different that he wants to do for us. On a personal note, this was something that I used to struggle with when I would be a part of um, worship gatherings that would happen in in homes. They were typically smaller settings. And a lot of the time I was singing or playing for them, and I would look out at the people who were attending, 
and it, it would generally be about 20 to 30 high school kids that would gather together in these homes um, just to seek and pray um, and sing praise. And it was really cool, and I, and I really loved getting to be a part of it, and I would watch as, um, it, was, it was like every single night, time after time, there'd be kids on their hands and knees crying um, because they were touched by God. But as a worship leader, you don't always have that luxury where um, you get to have some sort of a deep personal encounter because there's other things that you're responsible to do at that time, just ministry-related-wise. And so I would be watching this happen, and I was stoked for those people that that was happening. But at the same time, I found myself saying, well, God, why don't I get those experiences? Um, why, why can't I have that? And then that created within me this longing, and when I was in those experiences of, can I just have your presence? Can I just feel you? Can you just, t- like, give me a touch? It's, I'm just asking for something small, nothing too big. And, um, and, and what God then began to do in me was to take me on a journey of making it not about the feeling or about the experience, but about the person of Jesus and really getting to encounter him, which we're going to get into in a little bit as well. The point here being, though, that like God had with Moses, a very specific encounter, something that he wanted to do specifically with him in the burning bush, and to our knowledge, he didn't give him another burning bush experience, but he gave him a lot of other really neat experiences. But these things are unique. Um, and, and they aren't necessarily cookie cutter for all of us then. That if Moses had a burning bush experience, so will I. That's not necessarily the way that it works. Jumping down though under um, number four there when it says when God spoke, that was an encounter with God. So about halfway through it says his experience was the encounter with God. When God reveals truth to you by whatever means, that is a divine encounter. That is an experience of his presence in your life. God is the only one who can cause you to experience his presence. God is the only one who can cause you to experience his presence. Francis Chan, um, he's a popular preacher in the, in the church, if you haven't heard of him. Um, but uh, I remember listening to him at one point. It was an Easter service. Or sorry, like a Good Friday kind of preparation for Easter service. And he said... Um, I can get people to cry. I can get people to come forward. I can get people to laugh. Um, but I can't, I can't put new life into them. And he talked about that, um, the picture of the, the valley of dry bones. And he said, if, you, if God said to you, speak to these dry bones and tell them to rise, what would you do? Um, and, and for most of us, as we like talked about that in our, these small groups, it was th- the answer is, well, you'd, you'd pray. Um, because you realize I don't have the power, the authority in myself to make dead bones come back to life to grow flesh for there now to be veins and a heart that pumps blood pulsing through it for the spirit to actually back enter back into it to to animate this body i don't have the capacity to do that but god you do so would you do that please um and there's just that idea in mind that uh that encountering god that's something that happens through him um like francis was saying he could cause people to cry and to come forward and to raise their hand even or to laugh at what he was saying. But the reality is that only God could really give those people an experience of himself that would cause them to love him. Flip on over to page 92. And under a wrong pattern, I'm going to read a little bit of this and, and then comment on it a little bit. But it says, I hear many people say something like this. Lord, I really want to know your will. Stop me if I'm doing wrong and bless me if I'm doing right. Or, Lord, I will proceed in this direction. Close the door if it's not your will. And this approach isn't found in Scripture. Don't let experience alone guide your life. Don't allow your life to be led by tradition, a method, or a formula. 
Other people trust these ways because they appear easier than cultivating an intimate walk with God. People do as they please and put the whole burden of responsibility on God. If they're wrong, um, then he must intervene and stop them. If they make a mistake, they blame him. God is not obligated to stop you from making a mistake. If you want to know the will and the voice of God, you must devote time and effort to cultivate a love relationship with him. That is what he wants. Now, this isn't to say or to violate Proverbs 16.9, which says a man plans out his ways in his heart, but the Lord directs his steps. So it's not saying don't plan out things. It's not saying uh, it's bad to dream or anything like that. It's just saying that God is going to then direct those steps. And I think that this, at least for me, this was confrontational to read for myself because there have been a number of times, probably within this month even, where I've said something like, all right, God, I'm going to move in this direction and I'm going to expect you then to open doors or close doors. And so this was convicting for me to read. Um, be, and, and what I want us to land in, though, is the the last line here that talks about, um, it's about being with God. So I'll read that again. If you want to know the will and voice of God, you must devote time and effort to cultivate a love relationship with him. I love the idea of taking the time to sit for however long, days, weeks, whatever, months, to hear God's voice on a specific thing, but I'm so impatient, I know, that that's when I typically am like, all right, God, well, you're not saying anything, so I'm just going to start moving, and hopefully it's, this is cool with you. Um, so would you just get on board or show me if it's not? Um, but man, I would love it. I would love it. And that's where the conviction came for me was, am I being a good steward of the time that I come to God and approach him? And, or am I just really talking to him and saying, hey, this is what I want. Can you make this happen? And so I think that that's something that it begs for our attention honestly, as we approach God in prayer and especially as we are trying to figure out what is his will um, for this situation. Is it, is it that we're actually taking the time? Is it that we really want the relationship with Christ to develop or is it simply that we want our way? And I think it's something good to be confronted with. Jump on over to page 93. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That's actually my next point. So that leads me perfectly into it. Um, so in that s- third paragraph there, actually, um, halfway through, it says, God always always gives you enough specific direction to do what he wants you to do now. When you need more directions, he'll give you um, more in his timing. Um, and And to Doug's point, to just elaborate on that a little bit more, there's this idea of then, well, what does it look like for me to be present with God moment by moment? Like, as I'm considering this deal at work or even as I'm considering, I receive an email. How do I respond to this? Lord God, how do you want me to respond to this email? Or, um, 
I don't know, I'm thinking about work scenarios right now, but, but just like literally living in the present moment with God and allowing him to really be the one who shapes our decisions. Because that's, that's a really intimate, beautiful relationship, actually, where we're moving out of a place of just trying to get by into a place of, of, like a, of abiding. So instead of just trying to get by, we're actually abiding in Christ in those moments where we're actually moment by moment, Spirit of God, what are you saying? What is it that you're doing? How are you leading me right now? In the next paragraph there, uh, the, the sentence, therefore, so therefore he will give you clear guidance for a living. You may say that has not been my experience. Base your understanding on God of God on scripture, not on your personal experience or lack of it. And, uh, and, and so this is going to be important, um, at least for me tonight and, and, throughout really throughout the rest of this i want to talk about this idea of our god image and our god concept because this is something that's going to be at play and a lot of this a lot of what he gets at blackby is getting at here actually so god image is oftentimes something it's a it's a this idea that we uh will come to understand as um what we know in our head um our God, or sorry, that's our God concept. Our God concept is what we know in our head. Our God image, though, is what we experience. It's the, the image of God that we have because of our experiences with him. So God concept, is the th- uh, those are the things that we conceptually know to be true. Our God image, our, our experiences of him, the things, the image that we have based upon what we um, have experienced. And those two, it's probably not hard for you to, to guess, those two are oftentimes in conflict with one another. We could take any number of things. We could even, like, is God, does God love? Like, yes, he's loving. Okay. Conceptually, my God concept, I know that God is loving. Do I always experience God as loving? Maybe not. Because maybe when I go through hardship and I do blame him, I'm left with this idea that God's not actually fully loving um, because if, if he was, then I wouldn't go through this. So that's one example. Uh, another example could be um, God is here. God is is abiding. He's he's indwelling me through his spirit. God is present with me here. That might be something that we conceptually know to be true. It's theology. It's something that yeah, it's in the word. It's it's preached by our pastors. It's I could read it in a book. Conceptually I know that God is present, but my image of God, my experience of God might feel like God has abandoned me. Later on Blackaby talks about and we'll get to it, but he talks about this idea of of when it seems like God is silent. And so in times like that, especially, it seems, it can oftentimes be like, God, where are you? Where have you gone? And in fact, Psalm 13, in Psalm 13, David says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And so there's something very beautiful, too, about being honest with ourselves and honest with the Lord, that God, this might be what I conceptually know to be true of you, but my image of you, my experience of you is something quite different. And so what do we do with that? We're going to talk more about that tonight as we keep going. And I bring that up because Blackaby says, um, and he's right, but this might not be your experience and understanding of God in Scripture. You need that there's some changes that need to happen, but what I want us to begin to explore, um, and, and he doesn't do it in this book, not saying that he doesn't do it anywhere, but what he doesn't really do in this book is give, um, is give some direction on that. So I want to give some direction on what that actually looks like. Under point nine, uh, halfway through, it says, God is more interested in a love relationship with you than he is in what you can do for him. And I think that that is so important for us to remember. That as we learn to hear, as we learn the sound of God's voice, 
as we as we learn to even abide and to do the right thing, that it is so much more about knowing him, knowing the person of Jesus, than it is about doing the right thing for God. The doing comes out of the being. The doing comes out of the knowing. Those are just going to be, that's the fruit of our relationship with Christ. But what, what I want our focus to be on, what our focus should be on, what Blackaby says here too is that God is so much more, he's so much more interested in the love relationship that he's cultivating within us than simply on us doing or doing the right thing or, or doing his will. If you think about it this way, think back to a time in your life where your parents asked you to do a chore that you really, really did not want to do. So maybe that's mowing the lawn, maybe it's uh, washing the dishes, laundry. So think about whatever that might have been. For me, I would say it was weeding. I hated weeding. I always got stuck with that. So my legs would be killing me, my my calves, and I'd have dirt under my fingernails. And um, I know, right? I was out of like the being dirty is cool stage, you know, and was into like, I want to look presentable to people. Um, now, it, while, it honestly, even man, I'm just thinking about this. Uh, even even this this past weekend, I was helping my dad. We were um, conditioning the wood in our backyard, uh, weatherproofing it, you know, all, all along the the fences. Um, and it was a much more pleasant experience when I was close to my dad while I was doing that, as opposed to when he was on the other side of the yard. We wouldn't even necessarily be talking. But when he was present with me and we were doing it together, for some reason it was just easier and more enjoyable. The doing became something that was more pleasant because of the relationship. And how do you think about something that you hated doing as a kid? Because my guess would be that um, it was probably something that was done in isolation to an extent. People probably weren't around you. um, And you were probably having to do this thing alone. You were cut off from a relationship and my guess would be that if somebody was there with you, washing the dishes with you or mowing the lawn with you or whatever that thing was, that it would have been more enjoyable. So this idea of, of doing does really come out of our relationship very, very naturally, but relationship is what's most important. So the main points for this section, over there on the right, the summary statements, if I do not know when God is speaking, I'm in trouble at the heart of my Christian life. We want to know the voice of God. That's what Jesus says in John 10. My sheep know my voice and they come to me. God speaks to his people. That God spoke to people is far more important than how he spoke. So again, it's not like, it's not that you have to have a burning bush experience. It's, is God speaking to you? He is. So where is he speaking? How is he speaking? What is he saying? When God spoke, it was usually unique to that individual. Again, we don't see another burning bush. When God spoke, that person was sure it was God. When God spoke, that person knew what God said. When God spoke, that was an encounter with God. Literally, this people, and we do this on a daily basis, we have the opportunity to encounter God on a daily basis just by interacting with him through what he says. And if I do not have, a clear, in, uh, have clear instructions from God in the matter, I will pray and wait. I will not try to bypass the love relationship. So it's, again, it's important that we realize that um, we actually rob ourselves of deeper intimacy with Christ when we just, well, this is what I want to do, and since you're not saying anything, I'm going to go and do it. He is at work even in that, but what he would desire, I believe, 
is to be present with us in that whole decision-making process because as we sit with him, the longer we sit with him, uh, the more we, we become acquainted with him. Last night I was holding my niece. She's a couple weeks old now. Super precious. Uh, she was like so calm and quiet, and that was great too, um, to not have a screaming baby in my arms but a sleeping one. And it gave me a chance actually to study her face. And uh, the rest of her was completely bundled up. She just had this blanket, like, you know, just barely showing her face. And I got to just sit there and stare into her face and to observe her beauty. And here she is, this tiny little infant. And I was just, like, talking to her and praying over her and stuff. And it was such a precious moment. But just by simply being present with her, I got to know her more. She didn't say a thing. She can't talk yet, obviously. Um, And her eyes weren't even open. But I got to experience being present with her. So the Lord desires to do that with us as well. Go ahead and turn to page 94. Under God spoken, the gospel is the second paragraph. The disciples would have been foolish to say, it's wonderful knowing you, Jesus, but we would really like to know the Father. When Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us in John 14, 8, Jesus responded, don't you know me, Philip? even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. When Jesus spoke, the Father was speaking through him. When Jesus did a miracle, the Father was doing his work through Jesus. And so God is God is speaking, but what I... You know, part of this, too, is this indwelling type of language. Um, obviously, what Jesus is not saying here is that when uh, when he was on earth, that he that the Father became the Son. That's a heresy called modalism that says that the Father was the Father in the Old Testament, and then he's the Son in the New Testament, and then he becomes the Spirit in the Church Age. No, the, the Trinity has eternally existed and will eternally exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus isn't getting at that. He's talking about this indwelling language. He's talking about this abiding type of principle. And what he goes on to say later on to his disciples, um, and, and in fact his prayer for his disciples to the Father is that they would be one, that we as disciples would be one as he is one with the Father. And he says, I am in them and they are in me and I am in you. This is this idea of being unified and dwelling and being indwelt by God. Jump on over to God Speaks Today. Uh, second or third sentence there, we fail. We fail to realize that an encounter with the Holy Spirit who lives in us is an encounter with God. And jumping down to the, the third to um, last sentence in the next paragraph, because the Spirit is always present in a believer, he can speak to you clearly at, inter- at any time. Again, that idea of um, going back to, to my example of me being in those, those worship settings in those homes. There I was looking to experience, looking to encounter God. God, why can't I have a touch like this? Why can't I just like have a, a small experience? I know I've got a job to do right now, but, but why can't I have that? Can I please have that experience? Um, and meanwhile, I was missing the fact that he was also present with me, that he, I was already encountering him. I was talking to him. Um, I was literally encountering him as I spoke with him. The idea here that Blackaby is getting at is we don't have to have this burning bush experience or something like that. It doesn't have to be that God shows up to us and asks us to build an ark or something to that extent. Um, 
it, it can just be like us communing with God, and that is an experience. When God speaks to us, we are experiencing and encountering him, and that is a wonderful thing. Down there at the bottom, the last bullet point, and then we're going to keep reading the bullet points, but it says, spiritual truths can be revealed only by God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit would teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit will testify about Jesus. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from, uh, from what is mine and making it known to you. These are some of the ways that that God is at work, that the Spirit is at work, that he is speaking, that he is testifying. These are the things that we see the Spirit testifying about too. The fact that um, uh, the, the, the person of Christ, that's part of the Holy Spirit's job is revealing Jesus to us. We read a little bit out of 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, and I know I talked about it, I think the first week of this class, but this idea from, from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, uh, Paul is addressing disunity in the church, and what he's trying to really get people to understand is, look, you believe the gospel not because I came to you with fluent speech or a good argument, a wise argument, but because the Holy Spirit revealed Christ to you. And so we see that, that the Spirit, one of his roles is actually to reveal the person of Christ to us, to take us deeper into a love relationship with that. Um, down there, right before three, the, the second, or the, those last two sentences, when the Holy Spirit reveals truth to you, he is not leading you to an encounter with God. That is an encounter with God. There are times where when God is revealing truth to us, um, that looks like us not liking something about ourselves. Okay, that can look like conviction, which is good. But it can, it can look like becoming aware of our sin, which can be a very painful experience at the same time. That in and of itself is an encounter with God. Now, we tend to kind of respond in that uh, toward, towards what I'm going to say is actually a negative experience with the Lord. We tend to, exp- to respond to our sin as we see it, with uh, with great repulsivity and negativity. Now that's good. We should be repulsed by our sin. I'm not saying that, but what we then do is we um, embody that disgust and we turn it inwards towards ourselves. And so we'll then begin to look at ourselves as we see our sin, and we'll see ourselves as these disgusting creatures. When the reality, our true identity in Christ, is people who have already been redeemed and are fully loved and fully known. We're saints. That's what the scriptures call us, and so. This, I, this idea of um, encountering God, what I would venture to say is, uh, what, well, the case that I'm building is that when we see our own sin, that that is actually the Lord's grace as he's making us aware of the things within us. And it might disgust us at first, and again, there should be a repulsivity to our sin. But the idea here being that that is, an actu- that is actually a part of God's graciousness to us, to make us aware of the things that are within us that maybe we weren't yet aware of. But what he's doing in that, as he brings things to our consciousness, as he brings things to the surface and says, hey, would you look at this? You didn't, you didn't know this was in you, but would you, let's consider this right now. As he's doing that, he's loving those parts of ourselves. He's loving us so much in those areas that he wants to sanctify us, and he's making us aware of it so that we can then open to him. So let's just explore something for example. Um, I'll give you an example from my own life. 
uh, when I really fell in love with Jesus, it was when I was 18, um, I had been walking with him since I was three. So uh, I, I played the Christian kid, you know, like I was the good Christian kid in school and at church and I was in leadership and all that. And I loved Jesus. I had a relationship with him. Um, but when I really fell in love with him was when I was 18. So I consider that I was saved at three, but I was really converted at 18 when I, when I fully gave him all of who I was. Um, when that happened, there was a lot of things that then transpired to me very quickly where I was like, oh, well, then I can't be any of these old things. I've got to put off the old self. And so um, I'm just not going to be angry anymore. And I actually convinced myself that I could just choose to not be angry and that that was going to be healthy for me. Well, consequently, what ended up happening was that then shut down my capacity to experience other emotions as well. Uh, we are so integrated and so our, our psychology is so integrated into one another that we can, that, that, that can happen. So anyway, um, I actually thought I could put off anger. I then proceeded to put off anger for about the next five years. Um, whenever I would feel the, the desire to be angry, I would just say, no, I'm not going to be angry about that. I'm going to choose to be joyful. Or I'm going to choose to whatever. And I lived this lie, deceived myself for a very long time. Well, all of that eventually broke and uh, uh, it, going through a trial and I finally allowed myself to feel my anger for the first time in five years. And what it looked like to me, it, it looked like, you know, if there was just a little little iceberg peeking out above the water and I was like, okay, that's not that big. We're good. Like I can be angry. There's not that much to deal with there. So I'll deal with my anger. We'll, we'll move on past this, God. We'll be good. Um, and and I imagine, you know, him just kind of chuckling and saying, oh, no, no, you don't see the mountain that's beneath the surface. And as I began to then explore my anger, I realized uh, that I had five years of built-up anger that he then wanted to deal with. And every time I'd, be, I'd become aware of my anger, and even when I do become aware of my anger still, that is an act of his grace in my life to sanctify me in that place and to say, hey, look, it's not bad to be angry. It's actually, it can be a righteous thing. But this anger needs to be rightly placed. And it needs to be, uh, you need to be angry about things that I'm angry about. And there's things that you're angry about that have hurt your heart. And so I want to heal those parts of your heart. So I'm going to make you aware of this, let you see this. I'm going to let you see what's beneath the surface. Not so that you feel guilty or feel disgusting or feel ashamed, but so that you know that you're loved in these places because I'm holding you even here. This is the truth of your heart and that's where I indwell you is in, your, in the truth of who you are. So God is at work. His grace is at work. When he makes us aware, awareness of, of God is really his grace. So the summary statement's over there on the right on page 97. An encounter with the Holy Spirit is an encounter with God. I understand spiritual truth because the Holy Spirit is working in my life. When I come to God's word, the author himself is present to instruct me. And truth is never discovered. Truth is revealed. And truth is revealed by the person of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God who is the truth. Same thing happens with personal 
things you struggle with. You get put under pressure, trials. You get put under difficult circumstances. And the Holy Spirit will boil that humanity up. And it'll come out. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And and thank God he doesn't leave us alone in that too. You know, he's like, yeah, I'm turning off the heat to expose these things, to bring these things out in you uh, <laughs> so that we can then explore these together. Like God, here's what God doesn't do because this creates fires in the kitchen. He doesn't just turn off the heat and walk away and let the, the stove, you know, continue or the, the pan on the stove continue to boil over. Um, God's not an irresponsible chef in that in that way, if you will. If, to tease out the example of that, he's there, he's present with you, and he's not just going to walk away and let the pan boil over and, and catch the kitchen on fire. He's there to to be present with you in those things, to let you see that, to bring up those things, and then to work at it with you. And um, and we'll even we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. Yeah. Amen. Before we jump into day three, any questions or thoughts that you want to maybe flesh out? Cool. Then day three it is. Page 98. So in that top paragraph, last sentence, it says, God's revelations are designed to bring you into increasingly deeper and profound love relationship with him. God's revelations are designed to bring you into an increasingly deeper and profound love relationship with him as he reveals things uh, about himself to you. And as he, even as he reveals things about yourself to you, what he's intending to do through those things is to deepen your love with him. Uh, bullet points under number two there, it says, 99-year-old Abraham needed to know God was almighty, all-powerful, able to do anything so he could believe God could give him a son in his old age. Through Moses, God said he was holy. His people had to believe he was holy so that they would respond by being holy themselves. Through Malachi, God revealed his forgiving nature so the people could believe that they would be forgiven if they would return to God. Jesus revealed that he was the source of eternal life so people could believe, respond to him, and receive life. God is in the process of revelation and self-revelation for our sake so that we can actually come to know him. Right, when you reveal something, a deep part of yourself to another person, we tend to call that intimacy. The, that really becomes an intimate experience, though, when you expose the truth of yourself to somebody and you are loved in that place. That's true intimacy. And so God is revealing himself to us. He knows us fully, but he's re- revealing himself to us and then causing our hearts to love him. Um, and we can't help it, I would say, but to love him. And so as he does that, as he reveals himself, we love him and we grow in our intimacy with Christ. Yeah, Jack. He does. Yeah. You guys are great. You're just, you're bringing up all the points that are coming up. It's not in this, it's, no, it's good. You're, uh, you're planting seeds. 
but we're going to talk more about that. Uh, that's in the that's in the the unit six, I think it is. So the next part will be in the second half of class. But there is. <laughs> you're reading that, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, we'll, we will be talking more about that though. This idea of of suffering and um, when he, God seems silent, uh, and Blackaby doesn't talk about it, but I'm going to be talking about the the dark night, um, and I'll talk more about that later. But good point, Jack. So under under three there, those bullet points. It says um, you will have to believe God is who He says He is. You will have to believe God can do what He says He will do. You will have to adjust your thinking in light of this belief, trusting that God will demonstrate himself to be who he says he is. Uh, you then obey him. When you obey God, or when you obey, God does his work through you and demonstrates that he is who he says he is. Then you will know God by experience. You will know God um, is who he says he is. And again, I want to talk about this idea of image and concept because we we can know things about God. We can know these truths about God. Our God concept, conceptually, I know these things be true, but God image, is this actually what I experience to be true of God? And as we are confronted with that, the Lord is is present even in that. He knows the truth of our hearts. Nothing is a surprise to him. And so this idea of, of adjusting your thinking in light of this, this isn't something that's just to be done on your own or something to be done alone. This is something that, that God is inviting us into, right? He is standing at the stove with us as our impurities begin to boil up and he is ready to to uh, to join us in that process of work. Flip on over to page 100. On the left there, we're going to read uh, Proverbs 19.21 just for a moment. Many, of the pl- many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the, Lord, uh, the Lord's purposes that prevail. As God reveals things to us, as he reveals himself, he also reveals his plans. Um, and we might have our own plans. And, and that's, again, I'm not saying that that's a, a necessarily a bad thing. Uh, but what Blackaby talks about later is this idea of, but am I open ultimately to the Lord's plans for me? Because we do have to remember in, our, in the light of life that uh, we have all these plans set up in our hearts, but that God is the one who's whose plan will prevail and uh, really who's going to allow um, our steps to be walked out in the direction that is according to as well. Jump on down to the bottom of page 100 where it says God wants us to follow him daily, not just follow a plan. If we try to spell out all the details of his will in, planning, in a planning session, we tend to think, now that we know where we are going and how to get there, we can get the job done then we forget about the need for a daily intimate relationship with God. It's kind of this idea that if, if I already know the end, then I don't actually need him in the moment. And this is something that God, um, uh, God revealed to me. I was on a retreat last week. So my program um, that I, I'm in seminary right now in my particular program, we have to go on retreats. I think it's four, um, but four 48 hour retreats in solitude and then a three-week retreat in the solitude, um, which is going to be intense. Um, but I was doing one of my 48s last week, and so I went to a cabin uh, in Wrightwood, and it was just me in this cabin. I was hanging out with God for two days, and it was good. Um, but I realized during my last my last dinner there that I hadn't talked a whole lot out loud. 
I had sung a lot. I had, I had opened up the word and I was singing out of the word, but I hadn't actually like talked a lot out loud. Most of my conversations with God were just things internally, um, things that were said or, or things that were being sung. And so I just decided, well, then I'm going to just start talking out loud. I'm going to start talking with you, I'm eating dinner with you. So let's just talk. And as I started to do that, a lot of that anger I was talking about earlier, a lot of my anger started coming out just with things that were going on in my life and confusion that I was experiencing and questions that I had. And so I started asking God about these things. And I said, okay, God, now I'm just going to sit and I'm going to wait with you because I don't do that enough. I, what I tend to do is I tend to be very honest with God. Um, and then I take up all the time that I intended to pray by talking. And then I don't give him the, an, an opportunity really to respond as, as he would like it. Um, and so I said, no, I'm just going to sit and I'm, I'm just going to listen. I'm going to wait with you. And so I'm sitting at the dinner table and I finish everything up and I'm sitting and all these thoughts are coming to my mind, but I'm just practicing discernment saying, no, that's my voice. That's my voice. I know my voice. That's my voice. And things, so things just kept on coming and I just kept saying, no, that's not you God. That's me. Um, and even scripture came to mind. So I opened my Bible and I started reading scripture and and still, like, I was like, that was, that was me. That doesn't make any sense. That's not you. And eventually I was like, well, I guess you're not going to say anything right now, so I'm going to wash the dishes. And so I got up, and I started washing the dishes, and God asked me this question, and, and now I knew it was him, and it was cool. But he said, do you just want the answers because you want me or because you want to get over the pain? Um, and in my spirit, immediately I knew the answer was the latter. It was, oh, I just want to move on past the pain. I don't, it, it's not really about you and me. And he said, you see, Nathan, if I tell you all the answers now, then you're not going to need to rely on me. If I, if I show you everything, if I show you the whole game plan, then you're going to forget about me in this part of your life. Not that I'm not going to talk to him. I'm going to talk about other things, but he wanted to be present. He wants to be present with me in every part of my life. He wants to be present with us in every part of our lives. And so he was saying, look, if I tell you all those answers right now, then you're not going to continue to open to me. And I want you to continue to do that. So I'm going to actually keep things concealed for now so that we can continue to connect in this area. I could have come up with that on my own. Um, Somebody could have taught me that. Uh, I could have read that in a book, but it would not have meant nearly as much as it did when God actually said it. And so there's this idea of just, you know, again, if, if God, if we sit down with God and we just, we go into this planning session mode and we think, you know, now that I know where I'm going, I know how to get there, I can get the job done, then Blackbee's right. We forget about our need for a daily intimate relationship with God, especially in whatever area that is of your life. And what he says in the next paragraph, it isn't wrong to plan. And then the uh, two sentences later, let God interrupt or redirect your plans anytime he wants. And that's the thing, you know, in, in a conjunction with that proverb we just read, we have these plans. It's not that it's bad to plan or to make plans, but but if our plans become our God and we don't allow our true God to really then reroute those plans, then something is, is misaligned and we need a tune up in that place of our heart. Grab your Bible or turn on your phone to Luke 9. Luke chapter 
in this particular passage, we could talk about so many different things and, um, and I'll say up front, I don't believe that this is the main point of this passage, uh, but I think it's something, an application that we can draw from it. So I think it's worth exploring. But in Luke 9, starting in verse 1, wait, is that where I want to start? No, I want to start in verse um, 10. So it says, when, G- or when the apostles returned, they had reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were in need of he- healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging, because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we can go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there, so we're dealing with thousands of people because that doesn't count the women and children. But he said to the disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up the twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. God's plan, the, the point of, of what we're, or the, where we're reading this passage from, I should say, tonight, is this idea that God's plans are different than ours, and he does it to reveal himself in a, in a very beautiful way. The disciples' plans was, we're just going to send everybody into town. They can buy food. They can take care of themselves. Um, it's like if you've ever been to like a music festival or something and there's food trucks instead of like, they're not going to provide you with dinner um, with your ticket typically. Uh, and so you, they're like, there's food trucks and there's surrounding fast food. Go, you know, on, the, on your dinner break. And that's what the disciples want to do. They're like, all right, you just got... You know, you got taught about the kingdom of heaven. Um, You're hungry, so go take care of yourself and then come back if you want to learn more. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how we're going to do things tonight. Um, Give them something to eat. And then he performs this miracle. And this miracle, um, it's, there, there are things, when you read through, this is just a little side note. When you read through the New Testament and you read about the miracles Jesus is doing, all the miracles that Jesus does have alignment with Old Testament prophecies that talk about the coming Messiah and the things that the Messiah would do. So one of the things is like that there will be an abundance of food. That's prophesied about in the Old Testament prophets. So there's going to be an abundance of food in the time of the Messiah, in the age of the Messiah, when he comes. And then what, what do we see in this miracle? There's an abundance. Literally, there's overflows of food that's, that's a result of Jesus. And it's really this revealing himself as Messiah. But, but it reveals the heart of God as well to love and to care. So we have these plans. God has different plans. We typically want to send people away or send ourselves away um, because it's easier to do that. And God says, no, we're actually going to do something and it's going to be miraculous. And as we do it together, um, people are going to come to know me more intimately. And that's what he's inviting us into. Page. Sure. Break one piece of bread. That's it. Break one piece. 
once this, so they have to then go and get this supernatural supply. So they must be returning. And every time they reach someplace, either the bread and the fish appear, or they reach down in a bucket and they bring it out again and they know it was empty last time. So he makes them face their problem. He gives them a supernatural out, and then he lets them experience for themselves the supernatural solution. They know it wasn't them. And then they walk away and go, wow, this is cool. It's Jesus. He'll get me out of my problem. How cool is that? Isn't that cool? And like th- that's what he continues to do with us. That's what he is daily inviting us into. Not that he's necessarily going to make, and he could. I mean, there, there was even in our prayer and healing uh, class in the summer, um, there's there's testimonies about miracles like that happening. Of They're just being like, you know, oh, we needed we needed like 14 turkeys to feed the homeless, and we only got 12, and then they're, they have like seven left over, you know. Um, things like that, and they're like, how did we get all these extra turkeys? This is crazy. Now we have more people to feed. Um, yeah, so God still does stuff like that, but I mean, like there are other things in our daily life that he is looking to do that with as well, that he is inviting us into. So that's, that's incredible. Um, go to page 102. And under that little exercise there, it says, when I was first learning how to walk with God, I depended too much on others, other people. I would regularly ask others, do you think this is really God? Here's what I think. What do you think? I would depend on others rather than on my own relationship with God. Finally, I had to say, I am going to go to the Lord to clarify what I think he is saying to me. Then I am going to proceed and watch how God affirms it. I began that process over a period of time in many areas of my life. My love relationship with God became all important. I began to discover a clear, personal way God was making known his ways to me. I mentioned my program, what my, my actual degree is in. It's called, I'm getting my Master's of Divinity and Spiritual Formation in Soul Care. And Soul Care is this practice um, in the church, and it has ancient roots as well. Um, but it's a, it's a practice in the church of, of being present with another person. That's probably the best way of, uh, of breaking it down. But the relationship is out of a directee and a director. So like an employee and an employer. Um, the the role of the director, and that's what we're being trained in doing, the role of the director is to sit with a person uh, in a room, typically just one-on-one, but with the acknowledgement, the realization that there's another person present being the Holy Spirit. And the role of the director is not to answer the directee's questions, and the role of the director is not to listen and tell listen to God for the directee and tell the director what God is saying. The role of the director comes really down to this idea of, I'm going to help you listen to God. And I'm going to, any kind of direction that happens is going to be directing you in how to listen to God. Because in the director-directee relationship, if, if I as a spiritual director, I'm sitting in a room with a directee and I tell them what God is saying, then I cripple them from having the capacity to hear from the Lord. I, I take that, I, get to, I would steal that from them. And there might be things that I'm hearing from my directees, but it's going to mean so much more when God reveals it to them and when they hear it for themselves, because then they begin to go on this journey, this process of, ah, that's what God's voice sounds like. And the, the process of direction then is directing them in how to listen to the Lord. What does the Lord's voice sound like? And then they can continue to do that on their own. So the summary statements over there on the left, God's re- revelations are designed to bring me into a love relationship with him. God reveals himself to increase my faith. God reveals his purposes so that I will do his work. 
God reveals his ways so that I can accomplish his purposes. Any questions on that section before we jump to the next? Well, great. Go ahead and go to page 104 then. We're going to read those uh, those numbers there, one through five. Uh, this is about um, the, the Holy Spirit, the person of truth, who, uh, yes, is a person. Um, a lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it, as if it is a force. Um, he is a he. The Holy Spirit is a person. God is a, is a person. Um, you don't have to have flesh and blood to be a person. That's not the definition of a person. Um, we are created in the image of God who is spirit. And, uh, and so God is a he. I just want to point that out in case you were confused. Is God an it or is the spirit an it or what is he? he he's a he. He's a person. And just said Holy Spirit, more like a name. Mm-hmm. I think what it is is it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and and it can, yeah. And make it more personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely more about us then it's about i mean we're not detracting from his personhood when we say the but it might actually help your soul to connect with the fact that he is a person when you do that so that's great okay one through five there read uh, you read god's word the bible the spirit of truth takes god's word and reveals truth you adjust your life to god's truth you obey god god works in and through you to accomplish his purposes so i just want to touch really quickly on number three there um simply because it says you adjust your life to god's truth uh, and I don't want that to be confused with this idea of um, you've got to shape up or you've got to do this on your own. Uh, there's this this saying that it's not, it's not Christ and you, it's Christ in you. And so when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to the work that God is doing in our hearts and our lives, the things that he's calling us into, obedience itself, if we were to look at Ephesians 2.10, it says that there are good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, the, all of those things, we do those in conjunction with God um, because to even do a, to do a good work for the Lord, there has to, he has to be wooing and compelling us to do that because what the, the scriptures say is that we were enemies of God. We were literally going in the opposite directions, uh, opposite direction of him and something transpired in our heart, being the person of the spirit who was grabbing, reaching for us, wooing us into a love relationship with Christ and and who called us into that. So for us to do good uh, is because the Spirit is at work within us. And so for us to adjust our life to God's truth, you can rest assured that there's a, there's not there's pressure on us, but there's not as much pressure as it might sound because it's the Holy Spirit who's at work doing that transformation. He's inviting you into that. He wants you to be part of that process. Um, and and we could look at a number of scriptures tonight. We're not going to because of time, but we could look at a number of scriptures tonight. I talk about sanctification and uh, we are hardly mentioned at all 
beyond really this idea of being invited into sanctification. It's the Holy Spirit who's at work. It's the word of God that sanctifies us. When Jesus prays, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There, This is a process that the Holy Spirit is doing, and we participate in it. Uh, we get to join the Spirit in that in that work. Uh, so 1 Corinthians two fourteen through 15 over there, it says the man without the Spirit, and we talked about this a little bit ago, but the man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things. So this is idea, too, that if we understand, if, if you are here tonight and you understand these principles, specifically the scriptures, the things that are coming out of the word, um, all of that, you only understand it not because um, I am an, an okay teacher or because I said something in a way that you could hear it. Ultimately, you understand it because the Holy Spirit is at work in you and he's revealing his word to you. Yes, Jack. Let's read more of that passage really fast. That's so that I can orient myself with the word. No, that's you're good. I think it's worth looking at. So we're gonna we're gonna skip back a little bit. What I'm doing here is uh, when it comes to the word, and and this is something I was gonna talk about later. Um, there's something called hermeneutics. You may have taken the Bible reading methods class that we offered, I think it was last fall. Um, I, I know some of you did, but um, yes. But and what hermeneutics is, is it's Bible reading method. So it's, an, it's learning how do we interpret the word of God? How do we do that um, a, in, in the correct way? Because there's a whole lot of ways to, to read the word of God. One of the one of the principles behind hermeneutics, though, is to read the passage of Scripture. So let's say that there's a verse in question. You want to read then before that verse and after it. And preferably, I mean, the ideal is to actually read the entire book, <laughs> which we don't have time for. But the ideal is to read the entire book of Scripture so that you have an understanding of what is the author trying to communicate, the human author. What is he trying to communicate through this this letter, through this gospel, through this prophecy? Um and then how does that one verse fit into the context of the whole? So since we don't have time for that tonight, we're going to just read a few verses. So I'm going to start in verse 6 of chapter 2. If you want to read along, it's 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 6. So it says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the message of, uh, not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have been cruci- they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared in advance for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom or in words taught by, uh, but, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths and spiritual words. 
The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Brothers and sisters, I do not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready to receive it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulos, are you not mere men? So the question then is, how does this type of a scripture, where it's talking about the spiritual man making judgment about all things, and then the, the kind of the contrast there within of still having uh, this propensity towards the old man. So how do those two r- reconcile each other? Um, what I, what I believe with that is that when it comes to the old man, the old man is dead. So when we are in Christ, what the scripture says is that we are a new creation. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I don't remember the exact reference. I think it's in first Corinthians as well. Um, but the idea there being then that the old man is dead, that the new man is alive. And to to kind of illustrate it in this way, it's like if you possess take possession of a new house, you go into this house and you find out that there was an old man who used to live in there um, and he passed away just because he was old. But his clothes are still in the closet. And so you are the owner of this house and so you own the clothes now, they're in the closet and you go into the closet and you take out the old man's clothes and you try to put them on, but they don't fit you very well because they weren't made for you. They were tailored to this guy. He was shorter, he was taller or whatever, wider, skinnier. And the clothes just don't fit very well because that's the old man that was in that house. Now there's a new man that's in that house who has these new clothes, so to speak. So for us, being these new creations, these new creatures, to go in and try to put on the flesh again, being that which is opposed to God. Um, it's not the way that, that flesh was interpreted in the NIV. Uh, I think it was in the 1984 version, ended up translating that to be sin nature, which they have then retracted and said, no, that was a poor translation. It really just means flesh. The best understanding of flesh is, is that which is opposed to the Lord. And so for us, if we are in Christ and we're new creations, um, then this flesh, what was what was before, what was opposed to God is now dead, and we are alive in Christ. Romans 5 and 6 talks about that. Rom- it's Romans 8, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm about to get to that. No, you're good. So we, yeah, we've, we've died to our sin. What Romans 6, 1 says is, can we go on in our sin? Surely not. For we've died to it. How can we live in it any longer? But then what Paul get, begins to enter into is this discussion of, well, what about the fact that there seems to be this war that's waging within me where I desire one thing uh, to do one thing in my spirit, but my flesh is still craving another thing, that there's this opposition internally within me. Um, and the, w- the way that I think is probably the best way of putting it is the old man is dead. That's, there's no question about that. But there is this flesh residue. Let me put it into different terms about talking about conditioning. Um, 
however old you were when you were uh, when you became a Christian, um, you were then conditioned for however many years beforehand to think, to behave, to do, act a certain way. Um, so let's say that you became a Christian at 20 years old. Well, you have 20 years of your life that, uh, of conditioning to not think like God thinks, to not behave, to not do whatever. And so there's all of these years of conditioning, these, and literally our brains are interacting with this. There's neurological pathways. Our brains are described as being like plastic. There's neuroplasticity where our brains actually can, can be molded and take new shapes, which is cool because there's this idea in scripture about the renewing of our mind. But our brains are actually, they're, they're wired with these thought patterns. And so there's all these ways that we think before we're in Christ. And after we, we come into a new relationship with Christ, there's a lot of healing that needs to take place. I think a myth in the church actually is that when you, are, when you become a Christian, all of a sudden every, you got everything figured out and you're going to be good all on your own. And like, you're good. Like you got the spirit. So yeah, go and sin no more. And we don't realize that there's this, there's 20 years or however many years of conditioning in opposition to God that then needs to be sanctified. And so this is a really long process, a really long journey. So what I would say with all that is there is this, there's this residue of the flesh that still is there, this conditioning and opposition towards God and all of that that is still being renewed and still being sanctified within us. And so we do find ourselves in this constant struggle of, you know, we're dead, we're dead to that old man, but we're still conditioned to behave that way. The clothes are still in the closet. And until we take those things out and put new clothes in their place, we're probably still going to have a tendency to reach for those. Does that kind of answer that? Awesome. Great question. Um, cool. Let's uh, jump over to the next page. 105. So uh, right there in the middle, it says, you cannot understand God's purposes and ways unless the Spirit of God teaches you. All these things are meant to be done um, in the Spirit. There's this idea, too, though, of responding to, dr- to truth. He goes on, he talks about what he does when he gets with a passage of Scripture. And I just want to talk really quickly about that because he says in a couple places throughout this study, as you're reading through it, he talks about this idea of meditating. And that might not be super familiar, or it could, but um, we meditate all day long. If you're thinking about something and it's on your mind, that's considered meditation. So you could be thinking about, oh man, I've got to get my car fixed or I've got to get my car oil changed. I have to get my co- my car's oil changed. And I think about that often because I'm like, when am I going to do that? I have no time to get that thing taken care of. Um, and so if I think about that and I continue to ponder and I continue to muse on it, technically that's considered a meditation. So when we talk about meditating with the word of God, what we're talking about is actually putting the word before us and letting it kind of mull over in our mind and setting it before us and practicing this discipline of being intentional to sit with an idea or a verse or a word or, uh, or a theological principle and to let it kind of just roll around in our mind. And there's, uh, there's multiple ways of doing this. If you want to write it down or talking about it later, one thing is called Lectio Divina, and it's an ancient practice, which is still practiced in the church today. But it basically is this idea of taking a passage of scripture or one verse and reading it slowly multiple times through and uh, letting it's this principle of letting the word of God dwell richly within you. And so as you read through this passage, then you pick up on certain words and then you just spend time with God in that word or in that concept in that phrase. So that's one way that you can meditate, just to uh, give you a quick commentary on that. Lectio Divina. Lectio. It's uh, Latin. So, yeah. Lectio Divina. 
which 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 this like meditation I think you miss out on intimacy uh, again it's all it's this is about the person of Christ John seventeen three. this is eternal life that they would know you the one true God and Jesus Christ and we've sent I think that when we don't respond to God with obedience we miss out I think that when we continue in our sin we miss out um, I, I think that when we become av- aware of, of who God is and we don't respond to him with openness, we miss out. Uh, and I think that if we were to put that into um, more human-like relation, you know, it, it, if somebody calls you and they're like, hey, let's hang out, and, you're, and you blow them off, then you miss out on the deepening of that relationship with them. Um, and I, so I don't want to oversimplify, but I think it, it boils down to that is that there, God is looking to take us deeper in intimacy with him. He wants us to know more of him. Um, and that we can either, when we, when things are revealed to us, we can either choose to, to turn towards him and to open to him and say, yeah, I do want that. Or we can say, choose to say, no, I don't want that. For whatever reason it is, the great news is that he doesn't love us any less, but I think that he is bummed for us because he's like, Okay, but you miss out on this part of me. I want I want to show this part of who I am to you. Or, wow, if you had said yes, we would have begun this process of healing in your heart that you have longed to to really enter into for so many years, but you haven't known how to do that. And I was ready to take you there, um, but you're not ready. So you're going to have to continue to sit with these pains until you're ready, until you say yes. Part of this is our participation and our involvement Again, the Spirit's the one who's sanctifying us, but man, when we say yes to that process of sanctification and enter into sanctification and, and with willingness uh, and our will aligns with what the Spirit is doing, things begin to happen. Um, and it's it's fun to get to see it because they're like, oh, this is what you're, this is you, God. Like you're, you've been doing these things in me. This is where you're at. Um, and at the same time, we get to, we get to know him. So we get to see his work and experience his work. And then we get to know him more intimately. Um, cool. We've just got like a day and a half left to do and then we'll break. Okay. So under five there on page one Oh six, it says, once God has spoken to you through his word, your response is crucial. You must adjust your life to the truth. In this case, in this case, the adjustment is you must agree with the truth those who borrow and do not repay are morally wicked in God's sight. And he's talking about a conviction that he had had. Um, but you must agree with the truth uh, that it applies to you in a particular instance that God has brought to your memory. This is confession of sin. You agree with God about your sin, um, but you don't just stop there. What he goes on to say is you repay the debt and there's obedience that's involved as well. So when God makes us aware of things, it's not just a matter of saying, yeah, that's true. Again, that can just get stuck in our concept and then our, our image is still left broken. Um, and needing to be realigned. And so it's not just a matter of assenting to the truth, but also a matter of embracing the truth and living in it and allowing the spirit to change us in light of it. The last sentence or last two sentences there says, after you respond, you are free to experience a more complete relationship with God. Always connect a revealed truth with your understanding of God and your relationship with him. But we want to watch out that this doesn't become a way of feeling good about ourselves. Um, as things come up, uh, you know, in this example, he's talking about like, if you, if you become aware of that, oh, wow, I have a debt that I need to repay. Um, that can become like, well, now I've just got to get the monkey of guilt off my back and, uh, this isn't a fun feeling. And so let me take care of this so that I don't have to experience this, this gain, this guilt or the shame anymore or whatever it may be. 
Um, well, then we're still missing it because again, this is about knowing the person of Christ. And so if we just look at these things, the things that God brings up in us as, uh, well, this is, if I do this then I'll get rid of guilt, um, then we're, we're still missing it because it's not about that. It's about knowing, knowing the person of Christ. So the summary statements here on the left, God speaks uniquely to individuals and he does it in any way he pleases. When God speaks to me, I will recognize his voice and follow him. I cannot understand spiritual truth unless the spirit of God reveals it. God is more interested in what I become than what I do. Uh, that, that third one there, I cannot understand spiritual truth unless the spirit of God reveals it. If there are things tonight that you're like, uh, I've never thought about that. That really does not make sense. God, um, take it to him and just say, Hey, if this is true, would you reveal it to me? Cause Holy spirit, I believe that you're working. Um, or if there's just concepts like, God, I just do not do not get your word. I try to read it, but I really don't understand it. Whenever I approach it, I have no idea what's going on in it. Those those are things that we can open to the Lord in as well, um, where we can just say, hey, like this is your book. You wrote this. Can you explain these things to me? So let's break uh, 10 minutes. I'm going to set my timer.